This is a CBC podcast. I am just so excited that we have a, a, a chance to sit down and have a conversation with uh, Dr. Becca. You got it. Shansky. You can, yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> you not, not, not Shansky, uh, which I've been saying for weeks now on the show. Um, but uh, if, if folks, if you are, if you're, let's say you're just tuning in for the very first time, this, what we're about to talk about today has come up on the show a few times. And, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Shansky, you are an, uh, an associate professor of psychology at Northeastern University's College of Science. You specialize in sex differences and brain function. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago, we, we covered on one of our Feel Good Friday episodes uh, an article from The Guardian that was all about the, the gender bias that exists in in science and, and, and studies, um, but in, in particular, um, in neuroscience. And, and we were talking about like how, how, um, when it comes to studying certain drugs that male rats are, are considered like the, the, uh, the normal stable, uh, uh, brains to work on, whereas the female rats are like way too hormonal, way mm-hmm. too um, uh, hysterical moody. and moody, and uh, <laughs> and we just can't trust those pesky female brains to get anything right uh, when it comes to uh, studying drugs. And this actually all all stemmed from a conversation that we had with Dr. Jen Gunter, who <clears throat> who her whole specialty is um, she's an OBGYN, and she brought this to our attention. And we had no idea, and then and then we came across this article, um, and and we're we're privy to the work that you do. Um, so why don't it, for for you know I just I just said it in like the I'm a I'm a theater school dropout, um, uh, so I, I I don't know shit about shit. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So so Doctor Shansky, uh, Becca, Shansky. What, sh- sh- thank you, uh, Becca. I'm just gonna say Becca from here on out. That's Jesus a good Christ. idea. That's great, uh, <laughs> Becca. Why don't you fill our our listeners in um, with a little bit more of your your uh, your smart doctorness, uh, so that so that I don't I just can take my foot out of my mouth. Um, yeah, thank you. So basically, so it's not even just drugs, basically within the world of neuroscience and plenty of other biomedical research fields as well. Um, if you're studying mice or rats, the general practice has been, you have to study males because females are too complicated. Um, and if you want to know like hard scientific truths, you get that from studying a male mouse brain and not from a female mouse brain because female mouse brains have hormones. Um, And that has just been kind of the running line for basically a century at this point. Um, And it's just sort of become the scientific culture. And as as a lay person, when I hear that, at first I go, I go, okay, 
That makes sense. But even when I think about it without any like sort of scientific or medical background, I, I start to think, well, you know, 50% of the world yeah. are, are females. So like, so how does that so, make any sense? So, but, but my question is, it's not even, it's not even that like uh, that I'm questioning and saying like, how does that make sense? My question is like, is, is that even a fair statement to make in the sense that like, you know, say, um, male mice are more quote unquote stable isn't don't we need to test in females because the, like whether or not they're quote unquote stable they're different right like even, like if, the just, tr- even, if, the even if the statement is even if the statement is true even if the statement is true quote unquote like isn't aren't they just different so like don't we just have to test, test yeah. them as well <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's, um, that's like exactly the right point is that even if it were harder to study females, um, we still need to know the answer. And so you can't just be like, oh, well, it's hard. I don't want to do it. Like you're a scientist, you know, you're trying to help people with your research. And so, um, Luckily for all those scientists, though, it is not actually harder to study males. Uh, so harder to study females than it is to study males in terms of the um, like quote unquote messiness of the data. Um, there have been a couple of of meta analyses done that sort of like looked at a whole bunch of scientific papers that studied males and a whole bunch of papers that studied females. And they looked at basically like the range of data um, among a cohort of, of males or a cohort of females. And it's exactly the same. If anything, the males are actually more variable than the females. Mm. Um, so the whole premise of the argument is just false. Just false. Yeah. Um, right. I think it's uh, it's it's not um, like going back to what you said before, Becca. Like it's about it being like a, a culture within science, just like an accepted culture within science. And and then, <clears throat> and then what you were saying, Bri, like you know, you start to think about that. But it really isn't until uh, you know we read an article um, like the one that uh, like the like the one we were referencing um, um, with the with the studies is that that where you start to go oh maybe that's not because like even when we were talking to Dr. Jen Gunter you know not to throw shade at at Dr. Gunter but she was she she kind of said in in fewer words like yeah i get why they test on male mice first but then mm. they need to like she was kind of accepting of the premise Mm, but that then males going, come first and then the female brain comes second. Right. But <laughs> right. saying, but they're not doing females afterwards and that's what needs to be done. Yeah. And that's sort of like, I left that conversation going, Oh, okay. That makes sense because this, you know, very well-respected doctor who, you know, um, did an episode of her podcast with the surgeon general, you know, said that. And then, and then yeah. we read, and then we read this article and we go, Oh, that conversation we just had is like, there's another angle to that. And we need to explore that. So it's not, it's not hard to understand why, why that sentiment exists within the community when it's pa- it's being passed around very yeah. like very freely. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say before we get into what, like the reasons, uh, the obvious reasons of why this is problematic. Um, maybe maybe Becky, you could you could explain to us um, like the ways in which the female and male brains actually do differ. What what sets them apart? Um, that's a great question. And that is one that is 
honestly still being worked out because of this bias that's been around for so long, you know, everything. Right. So we have, um, uh, these basically like an atlas, like a three-dimensional atlas of a rat brain. And that's how, when we're doing our, you know, like we slice up the brains and we look at them under a microscope and the way that we know where we are in the brain is we have this, you know, this book that is essentially like the whole brain, but probably the brain, uh, atlas was made from male brains. Um, and, uh, you know, so there may be things that are different. And so if we, for example, want to do surgery and target a very specific place in a mouse brain, which is, you know, like tiny, tiny, we might not hit the right place in a female brain. If we are trying to, if we're using the male atlas, um, if you put a male brain and a female brain, um, side by side on the tabletop, no one would be able to tell the difference, right? There aren't these like gross, um, observable, right? It's not like one's pink. Um, <laughs> actually, they're all pink. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like one pink and one, like it's not pink and blue. The ultimate right. gender reveal, open yeah. up the skull and we'll find out <laughs> with a fire. Yes, the, I mean, the spoiler is actually all brains are pink. Um, <laughs> right, right. Of blood. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's not this thing where it's like wildly different, but the ways in which the male and female brains differ are important. A lot of it has to do with the biochemical makeup of the brain, about the way specific um, substructures are connected to each other, about the way that, um, you know, brains respond to drugs, about the way drugs are metabolized. So it's these things that are kind of, um, you know, hard to observe in a big picture way. And I think this is where in some ways a lot of the pushback comes from because people say, well, I don't see any difference between male and female brains. Like everybody's heads are kind of the same size, but, um, it's, you know, it's really about like getting down to that next level, um, mm. of, you know, molecular and cellular neuroscience where we're going to see important differences in the way the brains actually function. Mm-hmm. Where, where well, does I, the uh, whole thing about uh, where does the hormonal thing come in? Like, is that is that just a is that just a historical misconception, or is it just wait, like we thought that 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 the differences in hormone production in males and females works one way, but it's 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 either not as great or it just works differently than historically we thought. So that's where that kind of uh, that's where that comes in in terms of why we study, you know, why we do more scientific studies on neuroscience on on males or or almost all of it. I mean, so what I have found in doing some, you know, literature searches of gender studies and kind of like scientific history is that way back, like Victorian times, the scientific explanation for how men and women were different was that women were basically like inferior versions of men. Um, and that position kind of got like a little too on PC for even the Victorian era, um, uh, popular population. And so, uh, the scientists said, okay, we need a new narrative that kind of, you know, updates things, but, uh, we still obviously have to preserve the patriarchy. So what they said was like, okay, women, you're not, inferior you're just different and here are all these these like special qualities that we are attributing just to you sensitivity instability emotionality um whereas men are logical stable 
you know, strong, whatever. Mm. Um, so they're sort of like, they're complimentary, like yin and yang. And, but of course all the qualities that they like gave to women, um, they said, Oh, well you, this is, you know, you're, it's not appropriate for you to be a, a leader in society because you're so unstable. Um, and then mm. of course the scientific explanation that they gave for these qualities was, reproductive hormones. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of this like societal narrative that came from scientists um, that has sort of, you know, infiltrated everything, including the way that scientists today think about um, what is scientific truth and where do we get, mm -hmm. you know, real scientific data from. Um, and they, the perception that any data you collect from a female subject is sort of like tainted by the reproductive hormones. And of course, like men have tons of hormones, male rats and mice have tons of hormones and they fluctuate every day and they change depending on their social hierarchy. Um, so they really are um, just as messy uh, mm. as, as female hormones. And it's all like, there's a whole field called endocrinology. There's a whole field of neuroscience called neuroendocrinology. Like people are studying hormones. They're really, really important. Um, but I think that they have been treated as a, a problem for, from like a scientific rigor standpoint. Um, and I don't think that's what I'm, that's a, my goal is to change that mm. mentality. In terms of like, like as we get into the 21st century and as like our understanding of science, um, grows and very rapidly over, over even like the last 20 years. Um, I, I recall there was, what was the, the drug that has the, that, um, is metabolized profoundly different in, in women than men. Ambien, I think. Was Ambien. The one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so when, when that happens and Ambien is like taken by a, a woman for the first time and, and they overdose because the, what is it? It's something like 10 times more potent in, in women than in, in men or something like that. And there's like this, this, this very severe overdose isn't like, it just seems to me that like at that point when that happens, we all of a sudden should go, Oh fuck. Like we gotta be studying <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotta this in women up. just as much as yeah. in men. Like, is that not what, like when that hat, when that specific incident happens, is there a lot of other examples of, of things like that happening and why didn't we quickly change how we do this? It's a good question. Um, yeah. So Ambien is metabolized more slowly in, um, in women. And so, you know, it's a sleeping aid and you want to like take it before you go to bed and wake up without the drug in your system. And so women were waking up and because they were metabolizing it more slowly, still on Ambien and then getting mm. car accidents and stuff like that. Um, so in the 90s, the NIH um, did start to say, okay, if you're going to do a clinical trial, you need to uh, use both men and women in your, um, in your subject pools. Um, and, um, and then in 2016, they said for, for people like me, like people studying animal models, you need to use both male and female animals in your um, uh, in your experiments, but, um, it, it's been a slow process. And a lot of the people who even who were doing human research, they used both men and women, but they didn't 
separate their data to see whether the men and women were responding to the drugs differently. They're just like, okay, here's everybody. Right. Yeah, study. Right. Um, so it didn't quite answer the questions that needed answering. Are, are there other like concrete examples of how, <laughs> how symptoms for the same illness differ between men and women? Um, yeah. So there are a lot of examples of that. I mean, the most uh, sort of, I think well-known one is the heart attack. Um, you know, I think you think about a person having a heart attack and you sort of you probably, first of all, picture a man um, who is yeah. like clutching his chest or his arm or something like that. And, you know, you sort of have an idea of what a heart attack looks like. Um, but when women have heart attacks, it's usually more this sort of like protracted, uh, almost flu-like symptoms. They're nauseous. Mm. They're really, really fatigued. Um, and so, you know, if you saw someone who was having those symptoms, you wouldn't be like, oh, we should probably rush you to the ER, um, even though that is actually what they need to have happen. Yeah, you're like, um, oh, you're probably just PMSing, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean that, in, that kind of stuff happens all the time and women are misdiagnosed, yeah. um, for all kinds of, uh, you know, not even something as like immediately serious as a heart attack, but, um, especially, uh, sort of. Uh, disorders within the brain world, like um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, autism spectrum disorders, mm. strokes. Um, so there's a lot of um, examples where things present differently in um, in female population. And because we have this textbook idea of what it should look like based on the male symptoms, um, you miss a lot in women and there, you know, there's stories of women who are adults now who probably should have been diagnosed with something <laughs> like ADHD as kids. And they lived their whole life, you know, basically just like being told that they're crazy. And it's like, no, actually you have a treatable condition, but nobody figured out that that's what it was because they thought it should look so like something else. It, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, you know, Jerry, you just, you just said, and we hear stories of this all the time, uh, females being, you know, being drastically, drastic, yeah. dra drastically disproportionately uh, dismissed um, when they bring up symptoms to a family physician or, or whatever it might be. But, you know, something that you said earlier, Becca, about, about um, how, you know, the like scientists way back when, when it became, it became, uh, it became socially taboo to, to say that women were inferior. So they changed the narrative, but just kind of dressed it up a little bit. There's something about science that that you 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 sort of feel or you or you at least hope is sort of this like arbiter of truth um, and that, you know, it's like we look at facts and we look at data and we just report what we find. And, you know, but when we hear things like when we hear things like, you know, like women being disproportionately dismissed in terms of like when they're reporting symptoms or or when you hear you know, scientists in any field talking about something that's sort of on the cutting edge and they are, you know, not really taken fully seriously by a lot of their peers and colleagues in, in, in that realm of science. And then, you know, you know, five, 10 years on, it goes on that they win the Nobel prize for whatever such and such thing that they discovered that no one thought would ever be, would ever come to uh, fruition. Um, that like, there seems to be this, this, this uh this weird attitude of like not really looking at what's right in front of 
your eyes? Like what, what, mm. what are your thoughts in terms of the scientific community being able to like, it, it, it can't be not obvious what your, what your work says, you know, like mm-hmm. that can't be not apparent to people who, who, who see it and read it and, and, and just take a look at what's going on. Like it, it's, it's just, it's hard to wrap your head around in, in, in the scientific community, just, just disregarding, but like, what is your, what's your take on that? Why, why does it persist? Um, it persists because I, I think because of sort of the whole culture of scientific reward systems and incentive structures. And, you know, I, I think, um, we set academic science is a really competitive career. Um, and you know, you sort of have these metrics, like how many papers you publish and how much grant funding you bring in. And so there is a motivation to publish fast and to publish, um, in high profile journals and, you know, and then to kind of like move on to the next thing. And, doing good work um, that considers sex as a biological variable is um, time consuming and it does cost money and it and doing so will require people to kind of shift the way they design their experiments, the way they think about what the next steps are. Um, it's basically people don't want to change the way they do stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because it goes. It's like it goes against the like the male brain is the textbook brain. So like right. that, like that just goes against what we know to be true, what we know mm-hmm. to be normal, and so so it's like you're. It's an uphill battle. Yeah, and I think there is still this um, sort of longstanding bias where um like exactly like that's sort of the perspective is whatever we discover in a male brain is what is like true about the brain Mm. whatever we discover in a female brain is like women's health right it's like Mm. all you know like everything else in society Mm. where it's like you know you're a um engineer or you're a female engineer like it's Mm. you know there's there's always this sort of there's women right right yeah yeah um so everything that's done in a female needs like a, a a female qualifier, whereas the male is just like, right. but when, right. when, so in so 2016, fast. when you said that they implemented the rule where there has experiments need to be done on both male and female mice, like has that changed anything? It has. So there has been kind of a mixed response. I would say at least among my colleagues, I think some people, as soon as it was announced that it was going to happen, some people really genuinely took it to heart and in good faith started using, um, you know, started incorporating females into their experimental designs and found a lot of really cool stuff. Like this has been the best thing for me as a, you know, vocal advocate is that like, you know, back before COVID, when we used to go to conferences, people would come up to me and be like, Becca, we started using females and we got all these really amazing effects. We're so excited about it. And that to me is like the best um, kind of response. And then there are people who will say, um, oh, I'm just going to finish my male stuff first and I'll definitely get to the females. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like, 
the uh, WandaVision winky um, meme that was popular. So it's, it's been kind of a mixed thing. And unfortunately right now, um, NIH, you know, they say, okay, in order to get the grant, you need to say, you're going to do, you know, you're going to use equal males and females, but nobody is actually held accountable for that. You can write it in your grant and get the money and then you can do whatever you want with the money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things that I am kind of calling for now, um, um, within my field is some more measures of accountability and for, um, you know, for all of us and me and my colleagues to hold each other accountable when we're reviewing papers, mm. um, right? You have to say, like, was this grant funded by NIH? And if so, did you adhere to the, um, the policy? So it's, it's uh, it, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like it, it kind of puts the responsibility on the scientific community to, to when like you're doing peer uh, reviewed studies to, to really like, you know, create this idea and, and sentiment that it's equally as important to be studying both male and female in these situations. Because like, even through this conversation and the few conversations that we've had before this, and again, like as a person who like literally knows nothing about science, as soon as I hear this, I, and, and those, those people who come up to you at conferences and say, I'm just going to finish the male mice first. Like to me, I immediately now think, oh, well, like we can't really trust their studies now, can we? Because they haven't really <laughs> tested on female mice. But like, does does the sentiment have to sort of shift within the scientific community to be more of that mindset? Yeah, I mean, that's what I think really needs to change. Is you know the the at least on NIH's side, the um, sex as a biological variable mandate was part of a broader initiative to um, increase uh, what they call rigor and reproducibility. And so to me, what I think needs to change is the idea that studying both sexes is a fundamental, like core part of doing rigorous scientific research. Mm -hmm. um, and until people, mm -hmm. until it is, like you're saying, seen as like bad science to not do it, yeah. um, I think like that's where we're, where we need to do some more work. Is there a, uh, is, has there been a, like this question might be totally out to lunch and totally irrelevant, but like, is there, is there any sense of, um, you know, science has really come to the forefront of the social consciousness over the last year and a half with COVID and the vaccine production and, and, you know, the questions that have come up from that and uh, where you get like a lot of that, like, you know, mass vaccine hesitancy, hesitancy or, 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 or anti-vax mentality. Is there any pressure or do you feel any pressure from within the scientific community of like, Hey, don't rock the boat. We're in a, we're in a fucking like delicate situation as it is right now. Do we need, mm -hmm. do we need enough? Do we need something else to draw criticism to like the scientific method at this point when there's so many people out there questioning? Like, do you feel that? Is there any of that pressure within within science right now? Um, I haven't actually heard much along those lines. I totally understand that that could be a thing. I mean, what you hear more so is that, um, well, I mean, when I see 
like some of this stuff, you know, gets picked up by more mainstream media and people are like, oh, you're telling me people are sexist against rats. Like, come on, science is kind of get your, get your act together here. Um, So there's, it's, I haven't really heard that much. I don't think that the difference is, um, is causing a lot of criticism of sort of science in general. I think, you know, either people either have kind of like one of two responses to this, which is, um, sort of what you said in the beginning, like, how is this even a thing um, that people are just not studying female rats or okay. they don't, uh, they really don't believe that there could be that much of a difference <laughs> at the level of, of something right. like rats or cells. Um, so I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's like more or less no yeah. than, mm-hmm. than, than yes, because that would, because then, because again, <laughs> because science, we see science, science mm-hmm. and scientists as like the arbors of truth. It would be really shitty if like that was trying to be like tamped down from the inside. For, right. for me, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, the only way that I could, like the only argument that I would even be able to like sort of consider for a minute would be more so it's kind of like this idea of conservatism versus liberalism mm-hmm. and not so much in the political sense, but more so in like the sense that conservatism and like the way that things have always been done versus liberalism and being open to new ideas. And with the way that things have always been done in terms of science, like I work for uh, another company where we collect data and data in terms of looking at data from large sets, it's really important to have a consistent base, especially historically to be able to look back and compare things to. So if you said to me, well, the way that things have always been done is testing on male rats. And because we have this like long set of historical data and this is how it's been done, then we're able to reference reference this. And then we're able to more clearly see the impacts of, you know, new medications, new tests that we're doing. Um, and it's, and it's sort of makes the science more sound in that sense. But you know, the huge gaping hole in that idea that I see is like, but now it's only accounting for half of the population. So like I understand it from that perspective, but also it just seems super fucking dumb to think of it that way when you're not considering half the population, Mm. you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we hear that all the time is people say, Oh, well we, this work is built on our previous research, which was all done in mail. So of course the logical next step is to keep doing it in males. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, I think you kind of need to know the answer in females. And if it's the same, then great. But like, you can't just give yourself this free pass to never study females because the work was started in males. Like that's the whole problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Which you put your capitalist hat on, then like, (laughs) you know, pharmaceutical companies, I'm sure that there's a gap in the market because of the lack of research right. that is waiting to be filled and for somebody to make a, a, a trillion billion dollars from. But also I see the the challenge with like, you know, in grant applications when you're, so you do one, one round of studies with male rats and then you want to sort of reproduce it, the study or do it again, then, and you're applying for a grant, like you're probably going to want to repeat it, the study in male rats again, rather than like taking a risk at changing it up. And, you know, working with female rats, because then you might not be able to prove what you were trying to prove, or there might be a hole in your, your research. So like, is, is that sort of like a, a cycle that people are afraid of maybe getting into? So, I, Yeah. I mean, I think that people are worried that if they do the female, like if it's already been done in males and they want to do it in female, it's not going to be seen as novel because it 
has essentially already been done, um, just in a different sex. And so I, you know, again, this comes back to the motivation to have really high profile science and, you know, big impact publications. And so that I think is where some of the, um, the, you know, you get kind of disincentivized to the females if you've already done the males, mm. because it's not going to be as, um, as seen as, as very novel. And that's mm. like one of the main criteria for fame. Right. One of the, the, so you, you were mentioning how the, the, uh, NIH basically stated in 2016 that like, okay, we need to be, we need to be we need to be doing these studies and including the female brains as well when we do it. Um, but one of the, one of the, the like stats uh, that I remember reading in that, in that guardian article was that um, male mice outnumber female mice, like six to one in, in a lot of these labs. Is that still the, the stat? Is that still the case? Even though they've, they've made this requirement um, uh, you know, a number of years ago now? Um, so a newer paper did come out and it seems like it's shifting a tiny bit, like maybe now it's five to one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it's still, um, there's still a lot of resistance. Um, and so I think it's changing slowly and mm. I'm going to keep yelling at everyone. Yeah. <laughs> is, is this, is this one of those things where, you know, I can't imagine that you're alone in this work. Is there, how, how many of you are out there really pushing to see this change come to fruition? And, and are you, <clears throat> you know, are you hopeful or, or is this one of those things where it just seems like quite an uphill battle? Um, yeah. So I am, Definitely not alone, nor am I the first in any, um, in any sense. There are, you know, generations of, um, of people who've come before me who, um, who have been working on making the importance of studying um, both sexes in the lab really, uh, you know, sort of out there. There's a whole organization called the Organization for the Study of Sex Differences, and it spans researchers from human to worms at like all the way, all the, uh, you know, creatures in between and from neuroscience and cardiovascular health. And it's really a, a broad, um, organization. So definitely like, this is not my, uh, you know, brainchild or anything. I think I just started yelling the loudest. Maybe. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, and I am definitely hopeful. I think that, um, at least like from personal communication, um, oh, I've got a cat. Um, <laughs> people nice. have told me, you know, I, you know, so for example, like um, researchers who just started their own labs, you know, maybe their labs where they did their training only studied males. And they said, when I started my own lab to be like an independent scientist, I'm going to start using both sexes like hundred percent of the time. So mm. I think, you know, it's one of those things like as new generations kind of yeah, come in yeah, and, yeah. Um, and have power, there's going to be, uh, it's going to turn into like a normal thing that, that yeah. people do. Mm. Um, it's just going to take some I, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that you're, you're feeling hopeful because it, it, again, like, you know, we've been doing this podcast now for six years and, one of the conversations like this are relatively new to us. Mostly we speak to people who live with illness and, and 
in in particular, it's less about the illness and more about the the patient experience and and what it is like to live with with whatever the illness is, <clears throat> and the amounts of times that we've heard from guests on the show who are female who have felt like they just aren't being heard or aren't being taken seriously or are having these like adverse effects um, and, and, and can't seem to get to the bottom of it. Um, You know, the whole like women's health issue Mm -hmm. has been a really big through line in our show over the last six years. And so, you know, I'm, I'm knowing that you're hopeful makes me feel hopeful that (laughs) we're going to start to see this tide change and start to see a bit of a different narrative coming into into the patient experience because um, obviously it's, it's, I mean, it's just such a long history of just utilizing the male brain as the textbook brain, which is, you know, you say anybody in their right mind hears that and thinks that's fucking crazy. Like that is, that is so absurd. Um, So I'm glad to know that, that you feel hopeful because, um, because otherwise I think we'd be fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Becca, I want to say uh, I want to say thank you so much for for taking time out of your day today to sit down with us and to bring a bit of clarity into the work that you do and the importance of the work that you do. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of follow along and and see what kind of changes uh, come to be in the next decade or two. So thank, thank you, you very so much. much for having me. This was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so we're, much. Uh, we're we're fans. We've been following your work. So mm-hmm. yes, uh, oh, look forward I to love that. Following it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.